This episode of Into the Foliage is brought to you by Leica Sport Optics. If you, like me, adore nature and love staring at it, then Leica are a company you should totally check out. With over 100 years of knowledge and experience, Leica's optical systems are well designed to bring you closer to the wonders of nature. The binoculars I'm using this month are the Ultravid HD+. If you're looking for a proven design coupled with an optical elegance you simply cannot overlook, the Leica HD Plus model. A precise combination of state-of-the-art technology, new coating processes and the greatest optical know-how. And now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Into the Foliage, hosted by me, Ryan Dalton. And me, Janet Garner. The series all about the green side of nature. Where we chat to the professionals about plants, trees, fungi, grasses and everything in between. Good evening, Jan. How are you? Hello. Yeah, all good. Thank you. Good. I like your blue headphones. I don't think I've ever said this before. Have you always had them on every show? Yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. they're not They're not dear ones. They're only from Tesco's or something. <laughs> they're not. <laughs> other headphones and other stores are available oh, to yeah. your audience. <laughs> it's not a thing. Jan, don't worry. That's not a thing. Don't worry about it. Oh, I don't no, think then... our podcast needs to worry about that. They might give me some free ones. <laughs> Jan's hoping for a sponsor from Tesco, <laughs> Tesco Audio. Oh. Brilliant. Um, have you had a good day? Um, okay, it, you know, not bad. I was, I was going to work this morning to um, mm. do, I wasn't doing PE, but I was going to watch him do PE. <laughs> Liar. And um, this afternoon, but then yesterday, I realised that I probably might have a broken toe um, <laughs> from a couple of weeks ago. And I, I ended up having to go to the hospital to have an x-ray this morning. So I might have a broken toe. Um, oh. But it's a big toe. That's why, apparently, if it's any toe, they don't do anything. But a big toe, they do yeah. They do look at it more. When you say it's a big toe, do you mean the big toe? The, or well, just I, a very big toe? Well, I've got two, you know, so it's one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I've not got one, the big toe. For the listeners, a uh, bit of info about Jan's foot. She's got one main big toe and then a freakishly middle big toe. <laughs> but may or may not be broken at this stage. We don't know. <laughs> Sorry to hear that. That sounds agonising, but not the worst health risk that could be in the last couple of years. Exactly. You know, exactly. Yeah. Not too bad. Just, but, um, you know, broken but... bones could be a thing that we would prefer right now. Yeah, and I must say, I've never. It, the, this, I was in and out there so quick. Unbelievable. Mm. That's good. Yeah, oh, that's really, good to hear. Really I'm glad you're well. So what about you? You um, had a good day? Yeah, all right, actually. It was a sunny day. We were walking the dogs, um, part of the dog daycare. I always say that in case we've got new listeners and I don't just sound mad. Um, part of the dog walking company. We're out in the sun getting the vitamin D3, which was nice. It was a lovely day. We were walking through the woods yeah. and the, like, the, light, the low winter light was coming through the trees and stuff. It was really beautiful. It was very poetic. <laughs> Um, but it was very nice um what about uh, have you got a plant garden or anything highlight of the week um yeah yeah i mean i've been i went to the allotment at the weekend but didn't do a lot because it's too muddy too muddy um Mm. so but it was nice just to be there and um but yesterday had a brilliant got a good bargain could be a bargain in, um, am I allowed to mention the shop where I got these from? Yeah, do it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> right, in Homebase, oh. went, went there to get some seeds and compost. 
and had a quick look outside and they were selling box balls, you know, the round box plants. Yeah, yeah. For £6 that were £24. Get in. I know. So I found the two best ones. Really, look, really looked <laughs> so at I them. So I pushed the woman out of the way <laughs> to get to there. the best ones. Apparently they're all on furlough, so there's nobody there. Um, there's, it's empty. But I looked, really looked at them because there's two things that they can get in there, the blight and the caterpillar. So I really give them a good old look. And in the garden, I put them out there just in the pots. I've separated mm. them from each other, kept them away from other plants just in case. But I thought for £6 each, I couldn't leave them Well, yet. you can't argue with that, Jan. No. So it's going to be... What do you want? I know, it's going to look like a chateau out there later this year. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry, I've never heard the word chateau being said with such, <laughs> such attitude. <laughs> Olive trees, bay trees. Olive trees, chateau. Box balls. Shattered, Oh my god, oh. that was hilarious! What a lovely word for you to say. Oh. <laughs> um, and what about your garden? Um, my, this isn't a garden one. This happened today, actually. I wasn't expecting to say this, but um, I photograph. This is such a weird sentence. It's going to sound so vegan and so hempy and so. Well, that's you, eco- though. That is you. It's, I know it's, but it's not. Hempy. I don't like to be. It's, I don't. I don't <laughs> Ryan's a very hempy man. Yeah. <laughs> I don't... I, I photographed a lot of moss today. It was lovely as well. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? Really nice. I just... I, do you know what? I was, we were walking through the woods and there was a lot of it. And I was like, do you know what? Moss is beautiful. And it doesn't get enough deserved attention. So then I was doing a bit of reading about it. I knew a little bit about what it does anyway, but I didn't know the the details. So I was reading about it and I thought, I'm going to put this on social media because it's... um, You know, we should respect it. And it's a powerful powerful groups of plants moss so yeah that was a nice highlight today learning about that and um putting it out there for the listeners moss very important um support soil stops it getting really wet absorbs it like a sponge all the water um reduces the carbon in the air um turns it into carbohydrates but does that a lot in peat boggy areas where other plants can't do it um and it cleans the air takes all the nasty stuff that's where it gets its nutrients from is the air not the soil so that's amazing yeah it is like that what, yeah, what I've noticed, tell you what I've noticed about our our plant chat at the beginning, yours is always about something wildlifey or saving the planet, <laughs> and mine's about spending six quid down home base, isn't it? <laughs> you know, like mine's always about got a bargain or yeah. saw a nutter over the allotment or something, you know, and yours is, yeah. yours is always about, you know, a really serious... That's where we gel together, True. like a beautiful <laughs> flora, Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> <laughs> Should we get our guest in? Because um, also what I've noticed about these plant chats is they're getting longer getting and longer. longer. Yeah, <laughs> we should. Right. Um, ladies and gentlemen, listeners of Into the Foliage, welcome. Um, today we're going to be talking about a really exciting topic. Me and Jan were saying earlier today that this is going to be interesting because we, I say this every time, we know zero about it. So we, there's nothing but learning on today's show. We are joined by Mr. David Roberts. Um, I'm just going to say hello and welcome. How are you, David? I'm good, thank you. How's it? Uh, well, I've heard how it's going. So well, we're looking at mosses and my uh, box trees. So. <laughs> yeah, we're very good. Um, have you had a good day? Uh, yes, it's, uh, you know, 
working at a university, it's quite stressful at the moment in terms oh, of yeah. uh, all the um, trying to get, um, you know, all the lectures recorded and try to do our best in terms of, you know, the student experience and things like that. So trying to mm. try and do as much extra as we can to make it at least as uh, as enjoyable as it can be in these circumstances. So Yeah, I bet. Yeah, that's um, yeah not an easy time for professors or for, for students at the moment um let's start as we start every single episode david could you uh, just tell us who you are and what is it you do so i'm david roberts as you uh, mentioned i work at the university of kent in the durrell institute of conservation and ecology there i lecture and i also do research and my research is generally in the area of wildlife trade, both legal and illegal. Yeah, that's generally what I, I do. I also um, work it on extinction modeling as well and uh, psychology of species identification, which is a completely other area. Um, th- that's, I'm, I'm thought of a question today when I was reading that one back. Is that quite, I'm not, right, I'm gonna use the word depressing, but I don't mean it as a negative, super negative way, but is it a hard kind of focus to be on like the especially the legal side of wildlife trade i th- it it can be depressing at times uh, mm. some species that have uh been um illegally extracted or poached um to near extinction or or to extinction in some cases uh in in others there are there's work going on to try and uh try and stop this and so you do get uh some uh, areas of optimism towards the future. I think the problem with the illegal wildlife trade is such a, a nebulous area. There's lots of ways things can be illegal, and there are so mm. many species that um, I don't think there's really um, time to get time to get depressed about it because it's just <laughs> so, it's so vast that you're um, you know you're gazing around. <laughs> Okay, that's good. Cool. That's good to hear. That's that's a, it's, at least it's a busy job. So so much to do. So when you, when you say illegal wildlife, is that more animals or plants as well? Plants and animals, oh, okay. uh, anything that's uh, living. Uh, there's lots of different ways things can be illegal. Um, and often, uh, often the cases we just focus on a few species or one type of illegality and don't seem to appreciate there's a lots, of, lots of things that can be illegal. Oh, so when did your... When did your love of nature and wildlife and plants begin? I mean, you've got to assume that you do love all that if you're working in that field. <laughs> yes, I, I do like them. Yeah. Um, probably when I was born, given that both my parents were biology teachers, it kind yeah. of, uh, you kind of get uh, dragged into it. <laughs> so, well, it's not the, I don't think I was dragged into it, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's there from a very early age. And so, yeah, it's always been, um, uh, I was particularly interested in animals, of course, but then I, I used to get dragged around garden centres uh, as a kid, which I found, ra- as a 10-year-old, I found rather tedious, except if you had a really good play area, and some of them have really good play areas. Uh, yeah. So that was uh, that was good. But in the end, I kind of got into plants from going around garden centres from the point of view, I thought, I'm going to get dragged around them, and so I've got to find a way of enjoying them. So I just used to look at the labels and look at where different plants were from, particularly when it used to give, you know, the countries of origins and things like that. So that's a really oh. cool way of getting into it. It is actually, isn't it? I might do that more. <laughs> I don't yeah. think I've ever done that. <laughs> I might have looked it up after, but not during my trip. That's a really good idea. What? Before I go on to this next question, um, I don't know if there, there might not be an answer to this. Is there, um, like, if we're going to focus on plants, is there a most 
commonly illegally traded plant? Probably. In terms of value, you're talking about timber and illegal oh. timber trade. Wow. So probably something like rosewood, I would say, possibly uh, ebony, but probably more on the, the rosewood side would be uh, the most in terms of uh, value and uh, volume uh, mm. for, for illegal um, illegal plant trade. That's interesting. It is, because as well now I've noticed that a lot of plants you buy, they've got a plant passport, which I don't really know what that is. Would that be anything to do with what you do? Uh, it's related. So the plant passport, as far as I'm, I'm aware, relates to more of uh, plant diseases and plant health. Yeah. And it's to kind of track um, any potential outbreaks. It's to kind of ensure that uh, disease-free plants are, are going into trade. But if there is outbreaks, then they can uh, trace it a lot quicker with this kind of passport uh, system. But it does illustrate that um, if you don't comply with that system and you break break the law in terms of trading without the, the plant passports, um, then that's a way of it becoming illegal. Um, and it be, therefore becoming illegal wildlife trade. Yeah. Uh, so illegal wildlife trade, often when we think about it, we're generally thinking about CITES, which is the uh, mm. Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species, and the big pro high profile species there are things like rhinos and tiger and yeah. elephants and so on. But for plants, you have some timber species like rosewood and uh, ebony um, and mahogany, uh, but you also have things like all orchids are listed on CITES, uh, all cacti, uh, cycads, uh, there's a number of different species listed there. And so if you uh, are trading without the permits or you lie on the permits, for example, that's illegal wildlife trade. So, you know, in one way you can have illegal wildlife trade being related to plant health. You can have it because of not having permits to trade so that comes under hm revenue and customs but you can get it all sorts of ways like uh, trading standards could be another way human health is another way so there's lots of ways things could be illegal that's why it's so confusing wow. at times it's involved, that's, it? yeah, that is a lot isn't it yeah, yeah now yeah. i know what you mean but it's a busy job because yeah. one change and it's like well now it's illegal um yeah. <laughs> um so you you work in like so we're going to focus on um, plants, but like you said, it is wild um, animals as well or uh, fauna as well. But you work in the trade of plants. Has do you think there's been a big um, let's say growth in the last few years in people wanting more plants? I think there has been uh, certainly there's been some kind of crazes or fads going on in terms of um, plants. So in Southeast Asia, there's been a um, a, a lot, apparently a large surge in demand for succulent species and cacti, mm. um, whereas in the UK uh, there's been um, kind of a demand for like, you know, these cheese plants with variegated leaves that seem to be going for outrageous amounts of uh, money there. Um, I think also with uh, in the last year with um, the pandemic and lockdowns, people have of course been spending a lot more time in the garden and therefore more money on the garden. <laughs> but not money, not for Jan. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so so um, I think there has been um, certain areas where, which have increased, but generally I think people um, in the last year or so have become more, uh, not be, not being able to go out, spending more time in the garden and therefore spe spending more money mm. 
Um, but also, I think there's also been a, a rise in interest in things like uh, house plants, uh, and um, you know, particularly uh, for people growing in areas in areas that don't have um, uh, don't have access to um, you know their own private outdoor spaces to grow. So there has been kind of a, a push to grow plants indoors and, and so on. So um, yeah, I think there has been an increase in various areas. Yeah, it feels like it's exploded really in the you know the plant. The garden, the interest in gardens, I suppose it's, as in my house, anyway. Uh, <laughs> so how regulated in, in, like in the UK is the plant industry and around the world? So there's various ways that uh, plants are regulated. So if you think about the plant uh, passport system, um, you have uh, regulations related to uh, disease uh, to minimise the risk. Uh, so you've got the, the plant passport system, you've got... Um, controls on species that you can bring into the UK uh, because they may harbour disease or pests. Um, and uh, certainly until recently, there was a, a very large focus on uh, those species that were of particular economic value. So, you know, particularly crop species and things like that. But now it's been broadened um, to include a, a lot more, um, a, a wider range of uh, species. So you've got the kind of plant health side, and then um, under uh, endangered species, uh, then of course you've got CITES, the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species. There's 183 countries that are signed up to the convention. Uh, and so when you've got trade there, you're, you're moving plants across international borders. So it's an international trade, not a domestic trade. Um, and for that, uh, you'd require <clears throat> permits to export and then in certain circumstances permits to to import and that's to um, allow uh, regulation of the trade uh, so that it doesn't actually threaten the species um, often people think about it as being a ban on trade it isn't in certain circumstances there are bans but generally it's to regulate trade so that it doesn't make uh, the species become threatened through the trade. Does it vary with outdoor plants versus house plants? So does it kind of like, is there one that's more, not, I wouldn't say more regulated because it's probably under the same structure, but is it kind of more essential? I guess, what is the question here? I guess, is it more essential for house plants? Is there more an exotic side and more of a risk with some of these plants? Um, I think in terms of uh, pests, uh, I'm not an expert on pests and diseases, but I would imagine that would relate more to the, uh, the outside area uh, because of the threat of it uh, entering uh, wild, wild populations. So like you see mm. with ash dieback um, and other diseases like that. Uh, in terms of uh, houseplants, of course, you get diseases there, but I think one of the, the risks there um, relates to those species controlled by CITES because you're talking about the big ones, the, the, the ones with lots of species are going to be orchids uh, and cacti in particular. And so of course they're generally going to be more on the, the houseplant uh, side. And given you know the distribution of plants on earth where you've got lots around the equator, lots of different species in the tropics, fewer in the temperate areas, you're always going to have more species and those are the ones that are potentially going to be threatened because they're often quite rare as well. So the plant trade and the regulations um, governing that, is there an impact on nature from that? In, in so far as that it's there to prevent over extraction or uh, introduction uh, of diseases. Um, 
certainly you've got the issue of invasive species. So there's a, a you know another set of regulations that relate to uh, invasive species. So uh, certainly um, when we were part of the EU, uh, there was new legislation around um, invasive invasive species, but that was looking at a EU wide. So while it may not be invasive in the UK, it could be invasive, say, in the Mediterranean. And so there was a kind of concerted effort. Um, there, so there there are threats from uh, from that point of view in terms of invasive species. Yeah, well, it's that like bindweed, is that, isn't it? Is it bindweed? You've got things like um, Him- Himalayan balsam that are particularly uh, invasive uh, weeds. There, Japanese knotweed's a bad one, isn't it? That's that's the one. That's the is one. Is that the one? Yeah, yeah my friend yeah. had that in their garden. Bad news for them. <laughs> I've got a I've got a question that um I was I wasn't planning on asking, but I want to. <laughs> We, we you spoke a minute ago when you said about the different like kind of like cheese plants and stuff for the ridiculous price. Let's let's end this on into the foliage right now. Are plants <laughs> meant to be that damn expensive? Well, value, you know, it depends how much you're willing to pay for it. That's that's what it comes <laughs> yeah, to. That's, that's why I don't like living in London. <laughs> Yeah, um, that, that's it. You know, it's what people are willing to pay. You know, I, I see see plants. You know, I used to grow carnivorous plants as a, a kid. That's another way that I got into um, uh, into uh, plants was growing um, uh, growing carnivorous plants. And you know, I look now, and some of them, you know, you look at the prices, and some of them are um, you know reasonably priced. And then you see, you know, I've seen others going for you know several hundred pounds for an individual plant. And it's just like really you know that much but if people are willing to pay for pay for it then they're going to command those prices so it's um okay so i've got a message to anyone living in especially the north london area if you could stop paying up and around 60 70 quid for a very small tree or citrus tree plant or something ryan would be extremely over the moon with that (laughs) But even even where I live, I mean the the one that I go to, and they're quite reasonable price. They had lemon. They were quite big though. They had lemon trees. Um, you would have loved them. They were standards, you know, quite big, and they were seventy nine pound. But the more you look at them, the more you start to feel like that's quite reasonable, and start talking yourself into. But that's that the danger with plants, Jan. That's the danger with plants because it you look is. at it and you go, one minute, seventy nine quid's not that bad. It's like, that's, what, it's, that's 80 I know, quid. I know. But to have a lemon tree in your own garden... Yeah, but that's why I'm 80. growing mine. Yeah, but I'll, I'll be dead by the time that gets to be a tree. I'm 59, Ryan. You know, by the time... If I put a lemon pip in my airing cupboards, I'll be dead by the time that gets to a tree. So, so Janet Garner, quid. the optimistic gardener. 80 quid for a lemon tree, that's not bad. Right, David, my next question. Why, so we said, spoke about the uh, the disease aspect and also the, and the trade part of it to make sure that it's, you know, not having an impact on that species. Is there any other, um, I guess, is the industry striving to always better these regulations as well? Is there ever challenges where they go, oh, they're starting to have an impact here? Or do the regulations that we have now currently just kind of work for plant trades? I think um, there's always areas for in improvement um and that and you know they're constantly being looked at so i think that's partly how the 
plant passport system came about was to try and mitigate the spread of disease so that you could actually, if there was an outbreak, you could get onto it um, as quickly as possible. So um, I think people are, are constantly looking at ways of improving, uh, whether or not it's uh, improving, um, looking at uh, endangered species coming into the UK, and identif mm. but also identifying other species that uh, appear to be becoming threatened, but are not threatened at the, this point in time, and trying to uh, reduce the threat beforehand. So by um, taking species that... Um, where we're beginning to see an increase in trade and then listing them on site so that it can be better regulated um, or at least better monitored. Um, so it, it's, kind of, it's a mixture of in, uh, changes to current legislation, but also identifying those species and listing them on, uh, for example, CITES. So as a plant buyer, um, how can us consumers shop responsibly? I think it's, it's a case of educating uh, educating yourself about about the trade but it's okay i think with the plant passport looking out to ensure that the plants actually have the plant passport associated with them i think where we get to kind of uh, the more serious illegal trades where you start talking about orchids and cacti and uh, cycads and so on it's you're talking about the more specialist collectors. It isn't the, you know, the stuff that you buy down at um, home base, such as the, uh, the the lovely box balls that you bought today. Um, you know, they're going to be of less of an issue compared to, say, uh, buying some uh, rare orchids. And generally, the people who buy them know that they are rare. And so it's a case of those people asking the question, you know, have they been uh, legally acquired? So under CITES, one of the bits of the convention says uh, that basically you can trade the species providing it has been legally acquired. And I think one of the problems uh, is that for within the kind of specialist collecting community, people don't ask this question. Um, I've asked the question uh, when I've had to buy um, seeds of rare plants for uh, experiments um, at work, uh, have they been legally acquired? And, you know, the number of times uh, I just do not get a response or you get a response and you think, well, that's not legal. So, um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think it's a case of being, becoming more accustomed to asking the questions, saying, you know, has this got a plant passport if you don't see one? Um, or if you are a specialist collector, that where you're, you're growing plants that may be um, illegally acquired, asking the question. Yeah, that's that's good. That's that's kind of it, isn't it? It's asking. It's actually like I mean, we don't want to say the responsibility is on the consumer, but it's also it's not a responsibility. It's more like don't forget you're allowed to ask questions as a consumer. I think sometimes it's trying to remember that it's like even in any shop, independent, big corporate, you're allowed to go. Sorry, can I just? ask because i'm i'm trying to be a good person <laughs> i think that's all right david when you talk about like um cacti or you know orchids when they're rare species is it an issue regarding now i might have this completely wrong are they literally taken from the wild is that the kind of issue with the illegal trade side of things as well it can be that they've been taken from from the wild um or it could be that they're grown from plants that were originally taken from the wild so mm. um Occasionally, I've seen for sale orchids that are obviously well collected. Um, you know, you can tell because generally 
They have um, lichens and mosses growing on the leaves that generally you won't find growing in the greenhouse. Yeah. You get mosses growing in the greenhouse, but certainly not all this kind of uh, like microflora growing on the, the leaves that you get mm. in rainforests. And, you, you know, often they're quite battered. The roots don't look like they've been grown in a pot and so on. And they just don't look um, particularly, uh, particularly good. Um, so, you know, it's a case of looking out for those sorts of um, characteristics. So generally the thing that we are concerned about is plants that have been illegally collected in the wild. Um, and this could be either that you, you've got a plant in front of you that's come from the wild, or in some cases you can, uh, you know, I've seen plants that are so recently described, either the, the plant has come from the wild or it's been grown from seed that has been taken from the wild, um, from a plant that's been taken from the wild. And, you know, just by looking at the speci species and looking at where it was described from, you know, if, if it's from a national park, you know, the chances of you getting uh, somebody having a license to actually collect the plant and then commercialize it, because that's another component. It's not just having a license to collect, it's actually a, a license to commercialize because there's this whole other lot of legislation, which is under the um, Convention on Biological Convention on Biological Diversity, um, which is about um, access to this material. There can be illegalities around that. So um, yeah, it could be quite confusing. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so in depth. Like you don't think about it when like, like you said, Jan, like when you're just going in the, I don't know, just like in, we are mentioning home base a lot now, I've got to say that. But like, so <laughs> we're, we're getting to the point of saying home base too much on the podcast. But it is like when you pop in there, like you don't realise there's so much behind or just in your little kind of florist or anything, you go in and see the plants, you just yeah. think, this is a lot, a lot of detail, especially with the amount of orchids that are for sale as well. Yeah, I, I think, you know, in terms of the, the more kind of bog star, standard garden plants, really uh, there you're just looking at plant yeah. health and th yeah. that sort of thing. When you come to the more specialised stuff, this is where you start getting into uh, the issues around... Um, uh, around illegal trade in endangered species. Yeah. You do get, there, there was actually a seizure relatively recently in India of, um, uh, you know, the sorts of orchids that you would find for sale in big garden centres or um, uh, the likes of home base and things like that. <laughs> but, um, and I looked at the picture and I thought, you know, they're just, you know, ordinary uh, orchids. They're not going to be taken from the wild, they're hybrids. Um, and in that, that case, they hadn't got the phytosanitary certificate with them. You know, sometimes it could be people, uh, they've missed a bit, they, they've missed something on the form that therefore makes it illegal. You know, I think uh, talking about a non-plant case uh, with, uh, with Brexit, there of course was the guy who went over to the Netherlands and had his ham sandwich seized. Um, and that <laughs> was because he didn't have a... a, a I presume because he didn't have a veterinary certificate because um, it's meat from an animal and therefore anything that's coming into into the UK uh, will require a veterinary certificate and likewise there and so he had his ham sandwich and that got seized. <laughs> that's one so of the most wonderful things I've is, heard this week. That is a brilliant story. <laughs> so just leading on from that, um, let's talk about that Brexit um, mm. thing. Do you think well, if, if it's in your remit to know this, do you think it's going to be more difficult for us to get plants? Is there going to be, 
you know, we would be still be able to get stuff. Is I mean, Jan going to be in a shortage? I know. You know, am I only going to be able to grow cornflowers and stuff? <laughs> I think it's going to vary. It's going to vary considerably. I think depending on um, on the size of the business, they may be able to absorb the costs in term uh, in terms of uh, the extra costs bringing material into the UK. Uh, the group that it's really going to impact are the uh, smaller growers. Uh, so the small nurseries that may be more specialised. So, uh, for example, alpine nurseries, um, because of the change, because now no longer being part of the EU, they have to grow the plants in a certain sort of way. To import them into the EU, they will require uh, inspection and that has significant costs. So if it's a private specialist buyer buying from a uh, specialist nursery, those are the people that are probably going to be hit, um, hit particularly hard by Brexit. And I think what you may see is uh, the smaller specialist nurseries potentially going, uh, going under, you know, because they, they haven't got a, um, uh, a large, large enough market to service them they'll be restricted just to the UK because of the cost of export permits or the, the phytosanitary certificates. Mm. Starting to think Brexit wasn't a good idea. Oh, no. <laughs> Certainly, I think there was a, a rush before um, before the 1st of January by people trying to get, you know, uh, plants into the UK before it all came. There, there was, where I go, as I said before, he had olive trees all lined up. That's interesting. That was a Loads. massive rush all of a sudden. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's the it's the paperwork as well, isn't it? Like the the import and you know the the and getting the lorries through and all that, isn't it? So I think at the end of the day, it comes down to the cost. It's it's also the yeah. cost of the permits, and it's whether or not you're buy, buying enough that you can absorb those those costs, or it's yeah. minimal minimally passed on. You know, if you're a private grower and you want to buy. Um, uh, seeds or you want to buy um, you know a few more specialist plants you know you can't af afford the you know you know potentially 100 200 pounds in terms of inspection costs and permit costs. yeah that's yeah. where that's where it is it, it always comes down to cost isn't it and how the business is on the, the size of the business I guess to absorb the cost in um sorry sorry the, the other thing that's interesting there is that of course that by doing that you've just on the 1st of January, you just created a way of things now becoming illegal. So plants that would have been legally coming into the UK, just because you can order it from a nursery, if that nursery is willing to send it without the permits, it's the same plant that would have come in previously, yeah. but it's now becomes illegal. And so that's one of the things I find quite interesting about the illegal trade. It's like a light switch, you switch it on or you, or you switch it off in terms oh, of the legislation. Oh, that's so weird, isn't it? The underground of plants, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> How easy it can suddenly become the, underground just from a new bit web. of legislation. <laughs> yeah, God. Wow. Um, the next bit we'll move on to is I, I quickly want to talk about cycads. Um, you've recently started working on these plants. Can you tell us a bit about uh, what, what type of plant they are? So cycads are... A, a group of plants that are related to things like pine trees, um, mm. although they do look more like a uh, probably a tree fern is the, the closest thing that they look like. So they've got a, a, a stem with kind of uh, fronds coming out of it. Um, they grow 
in um, Africa, um, Central uh, America, uh, across to Australia, Southeast Asia. Um, and they're particularly, they're, they're in high demand because of um, specialist collectors who collect them, but also because they are architectural uh, plants like tree ferns are and palm trees are. They're in big demand for things like, you know, golf courses and hotels and those sorts of areas. So it's, you're focusing on um, sustainable development and traceability, you said. So what do, what do you mean by that? So, so what I'm interested in is, is um, in Southern Africa, you have uh, species there that are so rare that they're now extinct in the wild. Um, they, so they, they've been kind of poached to extinction there. Um, there's one species, um, I think there was 9,600. Um, they then uh, got poached and there's now maybe uh, 360 left. Wow. So that's the, the impact. But the problem is pe uh, people want these plants and they will find ways of getting the plants. Um, so one of the things I'm interested in is how can we meet that potential demand in a more sustainable way? And the other reason is the, I'm working in Mozambique. And so you've got big problems of cycads having been poached from Mozambique uh, and two species that I'm working on, there's maybe if we're lucky, there may be 100, 200 left in the wild. Jeez. And of course, the local communities aren't really benefiting from those. They're selling for lots of money in other countries and the local community um, isn't receiving any benefit. And so what I'm trying to do is um, help them maximise the benefit of their local biodiversity uh, by trying to develop a way that they can actually produce uh, plant that will at least meet part of the trade. Of course, they'll be they would probably be growing them from seed, um, so that will satisfy some of the collectors. Um, it won't satisfy the architectural um, plant market, uh, but it's trying to satisfy at least some of the demand as well as getting benefits going back to the, those local communities. How much of it is involved with the local communities when we're talking about like, you know, these other countries where the plants are growing and obviously the, the demand is being asked to, if that makes sense, that question. But how, how much is uh, we relying on these communities to kind of get them to protect the plants? In terms of the, the illegal trade, it does it does vary. The, the, there could be, say, one or two people that do all the collecting and they can be from the local community, potentially. Uh, but in other areas, um, it can be that they are collected to order. And so they know the location because they're so rare, they only occur in one or two areas that people will drive there, go in and, uh, and collect. Uh, so the local communities often don't be benefit hugely, if at all, from uh, even the uh, even the illegal trade um, and so because the often in these rural areas where they grow there are very few uh, kind of livelihood options there mm. um, it's trying to look at other ways that they can benefit from the uh, plants that uh, that grow around them whether or not it's for um, for timber and kind of uh, sustainable forestry type systems or looking at products that grow within forests or in this case looking at plants that could supply the horticultural trade. Our last question to you David is a question that everyone gets. Um, it's a broad question and often what people say to me and Jan or myself on Into the Wild is the hardest one 
But if you could pass on one bit of advice on to everyone on the planet about the natural world, what advice would you pass on? I would say um, appreciate what you have now because you may not have it in the future if you don't do something about it now. Oh, that's a brilliant answer. That is a good bit. That is it. What, really? what, would you, what should people do? I'm going to ask you a follow-up. I've never asked a follow-up to this question. Uh, you could you could do all sorts of things, you know, from, you know, I was buying uh, bird feeders to put in the garden. So just doing, you know, simple things, putting bird feeders up, um, you know, putting, um, you know, I, I'm wanting to buy, get a few more pollinator plants in the the uh, garden so that, you know, for the bees and so on. Yeah. So it's doing, doing small things. I think often uh, we feel rather helpless about what uh, what we can do when we look at the size of the problem uh, but I think it's uh, starting uh, locally and building up from that so think uh, you know think global but uh, work local <laughs> oh I like that I like that oh that's good yeah. <laughs> Jan's writing it down <laughs> Um, well, David, thank you so much for joining us on Into the Foliage. It's been lovely to chat and learn about how much and how big the wildlife trade and legislation world is. It's, it's been a, a real eye-opener for us. Um, thank you very much. I hope teaching and lecturing gets easier for you in the next coming months and this year, I hope, at least. Um, but thank you and all the best for the rest of the year. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to keep up to date with the projects and work David is working on, you can do so on Twitter at Dr. David L. Roberts. Don't forget you can now become a part of Into the Wild's patron at www.patreon.com forward slash Into the Wild podcast and gain early access to episodes and exclusive shows. You can also get in touch with me at Into the Wild pod at gmail.com or say hello on social media at Into the Wild pod on Twitter and Into the Wild podcast on Instagram. Whether you just want to say hello, share some thoughts on an episode, or please let us know what you want to hear about next. Until next time, keep well, stay safe, and live the good life.